Hello everyone and welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler and I unfortunately am not in Park City. <laughs> the Sundance Film Festival started this last weekend. I had plans to go visit, see some people and just have a blast. But I will say fortunately, I booked a couple of gigs that uh, created some scheduling conflict. So it's a good thing. I just have to wait until next year. So if you're out there in Park City and you're listening, have a blast and definitely... I'd say drink maybe a dozen <laughs> cups of the Artemis coffee, little coffee shop on the tail end of the strip. Ah, oh, it's delicious. And everybody goes there, so it's really crammed. Just, you know, find a good time to go. Outside of that, auditions and self-tape requests are kicking up, so I hope everybody is breaking a leg for their self-tapes and their in-person auditions. I've definitely worked harder in the last week or so on self-tapes, and I had in the last couple of months which is great means the industry is kicking back up and things are really moving ahead i will say i want to get right into it i want to get into this episode because i've been a fan of this week's guest since i was nine years old when i first saw final destination on vhs uh, i want to say at like two in the morning during a sleepover because you know you're not allowed to watch inappropriate things when you're a kid so you think i'll be safe i'll watch this really frightening movie at two in the morning and nothing will come of it but something did i became a horror fan i of course am talking about screenwriter producer and director jeffrey reddick a person that i've looked up to for years and had a blast talking to i do fanboy out a couple of times in this interview so uh don't mind that but we had an amazing chat longer than i i thought we would i think we went almost into an hour uh just talking about his you know career, of course, but also his upbringing, you know, where he comes from, what keeps him satiated outside of, you know, writing and being in the industry, and also what he's working on next. So, uh, oh, I should, <laughs> I should, I should say there is a crazy party story at the end that, uh, let's say, let's, let's limit the ages. So once you get to the party story, just uh, put those headphones in, parents, and uh, listen to it secretly uh but yeah i had a blast talking to him i can't wait to hopefully chat with him later on in the future uh because he was just a joy so let's get into the interview let's sit down and have an amazing talk with jeffrey reddick hi i'm jeffrey reddick i'm a screenwriter director producer and sometimes actor Oh, sometimes actor. How how often is sometimes? I got I got to hear um, more about I, this. I wish it was all the time. No, I, that's that's what my dream was growing up was was being an actor. Um, little difficult in the nineties. Uh, there there wasn't a lot of um, my my agent told me I was an ethnic Michael J. Fox type, and I was like, that's awesome. Everybody loves Michael J. Fox, and then she's like, yeah, but they don't really write roles for you know kind of ethnic boy next door types, you know, so. You know, if you rapped her, she literally, I mean, she was being honest. She wasn't being cruel. She's like, if you rapped her, you played basketball, you know, there'd be a lot more opportunities for you in acting. But right now it's really just hard to cast somebody, you know, of color and, and the kind of roles that you would really fit into. So uh, instead of kind of giving up on Hollywood, because it's my dream has always been to work in film. I was like, well, let me just fall back on the writing. Uh but I managed to just put some cameos in, in stuff. So at some point I'm going to write something with a bigger role for myself. Um, yeah. And then somebody will see me and be like, we need that guy in it. All kinds of things. 
<laughs> they're gonna say where has he been where, yes who, who is that and where has he been oh who yeah we been? cast him 20 years ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah so that that's the acting that's the sometimes acting part is just you know if, if there's a role in there and i usually i get friendly with all the directors uh, of the the films that i write and if there's a role in there i'm you know especially if it's, if it's an indie film um but I, i've been able to do it on a, on a couple of the bigger budget films too, where it's like, Hey, if there's a role that I could do, it'd be great. And you know, they, they usually will give me like a small role and stuff. So that's so cool, man. Yeah. I, I didn't know uh, about the acting part of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as a, you know, ethnically ambiguous actor myself, it, you know, not until the last five or six years has it become a, Hey, now we're looking for what we weren't casting, you know, I know and it, that's what we had, you know, that's what, that's what we have to explain to people so so often is because there's been such a focus on diversity now. Um, a lot, there's been a as there is with any progress. There's been a backlash of you know people being like, oh well now you're just hiring people because of this. And I'm like, no, they're now they're looking at a, there's a whole other pool of talent that they just never put on their radar. They never looked at it. And um, and I've been in the casting sessions. Like I know, like I know for a fact, like. We would have people come in that were of, of of any race other than white, and they're like, "Wow, that was the best audition." But they're like, "But you know, it's not going to help sell the movie internationally. It's not going to, you know, we don't know how it's going to play in the flyover states." And I think they underestimate the flyover states. But I know internationally, there's kind of a checklist of actors of non-white actors that have value if you're looking for financing, and it's a it's a very tiny, tiny, tiny list internationally. So yeah. um, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of business decisions in the past. And I think, but as the world's changing and people have got like going, Oh, I guess, you know, after, you know, black Panther and other movies that were super black or, or in it, you know, um, the, the, um, rich Asians movie, which I'm not saying the whole title, right. But, Oh yeah. Crazy, crazy rich Asians. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, we, we can, you know, people will go see movies as long, you know, as long as it's good, we don't, they don't care. So it's been really nice to have that change happen in the last five years, but it, it's also very frustrating to have to, you know, listen to all this backlash chatter. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a blessing and a curse that we're, we've moved forward but um, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. glad that we're having more opportunities um, to to work in the field that we want to work in. Yeah, yeah, we're we're getting there, you know. Yeah. I and it's it's funny because I I've listened to you tell a story in you know several different interviews, but I do want to you know take a moment to go back to you you know growing up loving cinema and how you came upon wanting to, to write in the first place. Where did that come from uh, through you? Have you always wanted to be a storyteller as well? Or Yeah, you know what? I, I, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and loved growing up there. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have television for a long time. And then we finally, the big deal was when we got television, but it, they had a, it, was cable, it was an actual cable that ran up our hauler. And so anytime there was rain or snow, it would knock the TV out. And so sometimes we'd go for a week or two without TV. Um, so, you know, my mom was always a very, she always instilled in me from a young age how important education was and reading. And so my mom had, a, she was very eclectic. I mean, she was a great woman. She had us when she was 50. 
So she, she'd been through a lot of history. Um, And so she would have books like Greek mythology books. She would have science fiction books. She didn't have any horror books. Um, But I, I I really started off getting loving Greek mythology and um, kind of growing up. I mean, you know, and it, Eastern Kentucky back when I was a child was was the area that I lived in. Like it was me, my sister and two other people of color in grade zero through college. So in that whole region. So they had ne- we were the we were the first that they had ever seen. So, you know, it, it definitely was an adjustment for everybody. And so there was kind of a lot of you know racism and stuff that I dealt with as a child. Um, and so I, I definitely like to kind of escape into like reading and and um fantasy stuff and writing writing was a you know a big writer um at a young age and um i ended up getting with some in, with some friends like this little th- three amigos who got we would just watch horror films a lot at my friend's house <laughs> um and i i i did i did always know that i wanted to work in the film industry like um i was home once and one of my cousins told me, she's like, you know, she said, I asked you at se- when you were seven, what you were going to do when you grew up and you said you were going to be a movie star. Um, so I always had the dream that I wanted to work in the entertainment industry because I just was fascinated by movies and TV and just seeing a world outside of the world that I lived in. Um, and the best way to do that for me at the time was to tell stories. And, you know, I put on little plays for, you know, for my for my family, I mean, my cousins would would do some plays and and things like that. So um, it's always been in my blood. It's always been in my blood. Wow, and you know the the fact that your mother had a whole life before becoming a mother. I'm sure she instilled you know outside of like Greek mythology, just a, an overall perspective that you wouldn't expect from parents who had kids, you know, in their 20s. I'm sure that, yeah. that came with it too. Yeah, like she, I mean, she had she just had lived such a a rich life, and again, like even her music collection was very eclectic. It was like country music, but it was also blues and gospel and pop, some pop music. And so my, you know, I got a very eclectic like when I was growing up appreciation for all the different kind of art forms out there. And um, yeah, she had a lot of stories. She had a lot of stories, I and mean, she she moved us there when we were young to take care of her parents. So, um, so she worked really hard. Like she was taking care of them, taking care of her brother who had a mental illness and was raising us. And, um, and we moved there also to be there, but my dad was out of the picture. I just tell all my business. I I grew up in a trailer. That's how I am. Um, but you know, you know, my mom found out my dad was cheating on her and she left him. And, you know, this was back in the, like, this was back in the like seventies, like when most women would not, that's not, you know, she married a black man and before the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And then, but she also di- divorced him and left him because he was cheating on her. And um, most women w- wouldn't do that. They would stick with their husbands. I saw it through with, with so many other people. So she was a very strong woman and she kind of instilled that kind of, morality and me you know yeah. <laughs> just like don't cheat you know um don't worry about what other people think follow your heart and um you know work hard you know it's very much like 
study, learn, and work hard, and you can do whatever you want with your life, except be an actor. You know, he's like, he's like, well, you could you can be an actor, but you you really need to make sure you get a real you know get a real job. Um, and so when I went to college, and I, I didn't tell her I was majoring in theater, um, but then I got cast. Yeah, I got started getting cast in plays, and so I finally had to tell her because I wanted her to come see the plays. And she's like, "You lied to me," um, but she was she was she was actually impressed and happy when she saw me acting. Um, so she's like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's when she okay." I, I have full belief in this now. It's not just okay. a phase. Okay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think I told her I was majoring in like science or something like that. And I was oh my like, God. I know. <laughs> How's science going? Great. <laughs> Geology's going really well. Yeah. Uh, just reading through like a textbook. Oh, yeah, we did this thing and that thing. <laughs> oh, I didn't even go that far. I'm just like, no, no. Because no, I was like, yeah, we're, it's great. We're learning a lot of stuff. And then I would just change the subject because I was afraid she would ask me, start asking me stuff. And I wouldn't know the answer. That's that is the the. Uh, well, they have a, a name for that just like how slick uh, a child can be well yeah when it comes to lying there's like yeah. some, some weird slang for it now like god i wish i would have known that uh that's <laughs> the fact that she you know showed her support is is fantastic and she yeah. passed on that work ethic to you and it sounded like it it paid off because didn't you write a, a script for nightmare on elm street at like 14 or something oh, and i wrote um yeah, and I've everybody's heard this story, but um, um, and I have to start with how much I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, it's my I'm actually wearing Nightmare on Elm Street shirt. Yeah, he's got the shirt, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have a little Freddy Krueger. Uh, you can't see him; he's over a little stuffed Freddy Krueger in the corner. But um, that movie changed, like, literally changed my life because up until then, I. I had loved horror movies, but me and my friends, we were like teenagers. So we were watching it for the blood and the guts. And they, my, my two friends were like in for the, for the titties, you know, like that's all they cared about for horror films. <laughs> and um, so Nightmare on Elm Street was the first film. Cause it was, I remember they marketed it as like fantasy horror. Like it was, I remember the previews were like the fantasy horror. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And when I saw that movie, it blew me away on so many levels. Just the story, the, you know, I think, Nancy Thompson played by Heather Langenkamp is, is the, is honestly the first really strong horror final girl. Like as far as being proactive, I'm not talking about any, I'm not dissing any of the other ones, but I think a lot of the other final girls up until her were written to, they were just the good girl who ended up surviving at the end. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is one of my favorite actresses of all time, but if you watch Halloween, I mean, she, she does run and she stabs Michael a couple of times, but Nancy was the first one who got a book on booby trapping the house. She, you know, got when nobody believed her, she's like, I'm going to bring this fucker out and kill him. Sorry for cursing. I They just come out when I'm on podcast for some reason. Oh, this is uncensored. Okay. <laughs> well, fuck yeah. Cause I, when I get on podcast, like I don't mean to, it's just cursing slips out, but you know, she's like, I'm going to go in and get this fucker. She went into the dream after him. She pulled him out. She fought like, it, I was like, and just the way that Wes Craven melded the fantasy world with the dream world, I, I just felt, it just it blew my mind as to what you could do with horror and made me like fall in, in love with it. So yeah, I went home and I banged out a prequel um, on, on a typewriter and I sent, sent it to Bob Shea. I, I called information 
in New York and got their address and like mailed it up there. <laughs> and um, I got an unsolicited, we don't take unsolicited material letter from, from Bob. And I was like, I, I wrote him back and I was like, uh, look, sir, I've seen three of your movies and I've spent like $3 on your stuff. So I think you can take five minutes and read my story. <laughs> and um, he read it. He read it and got back to me. And um, him and his assistant, Joy Mann, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, like really took me under their wings. And, and Joy would send me scripts and posters and just really, you know, it just really encouraging me. And I would read the scripts and like figure out how they were format. You know, I learned so much from just reading scripts and just having that encouragement. So, um, when I went to New York when I was 19, I, I got I got a I I finagled a an internship at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts um, through a, a school program, and I went there for the summer, and then they offered me an internship at New Line while I was there, and things were because I I I was getting a lot of background work, you know that was the, <laughs> that was the thing like Spike Lee shot Mo Better Blues, and I got background in that and a couple some couple of other movies, and started getting background work on all my children because one of the um, girls in my class, her mom, I didn't know this was a casting director, um, for all my children. So everybody else, I guess, knew it in the class. And so everybody was trying to be friends with her. Um, but I didn't know it. And me and her ended up just kind of hitting it off. And she realized, I guess, that I didn't know who I, you know, I'm, I'm from Kentucky. I don't know all the, yeah. I didn't know all the nations <laughs> of, 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 of the industry. So I started getting a lot of extra work. So I'm like, oh, this acting is easy. And I'm like, I'm working at New Line. So I'm just going to stay in New York. Um, and so I stayed in New York and um, I, I did go back one year to, to to finish college and things didn't quite work out. But I, I think it was for the best. I just think I was meant to be there. So I stayed at New Line and they created a position for me. And I worked there um, for 11 years. I worked <laughs> I sold the, the Nightmare on Elm Street, or Final Destination. I sold this treatment in 97. It came out in 2000. I'm still working there. I sold the treatment for the story. Um, 2000, maybe early 2001, but I think it was 2000. And finally, um, <laughs> they were like, Jeffrey, we love you, but you need to leave the nest now. <laughs> like <laughs> You are a writer. You know, we, we love, love you here, but you're a big boy writer now. <laughs> like go out and be a writer. Cause I'm a very much a creature of habit. I'm like, Oh, I get to stay. I can work. I don't know why I was, you know, why I was like, I could just work here and still write. And yeah, it was just, uh, yeah. so they, they, they gently pushed me out of the nest um, to go out and into the real world. and, and, just focus on my career, which was, which was, was, was great. Wow. Well, and after that happened, where was your, your head at with uh, the sort of new lease on life? Was it full of, uh, you know, like adrenaline based fear, excitement? Like, did you have a, a game plan after that happened? Or did you just give yourself a year to say, let's see what happens with X, Y, and Z? You know what? It was weird because, um, the great thing about working at a studio was that I that I learned to separate my ego from my work a lot because I would see a lot of great scripts come through and then I would see a lot of not great scripts come through that had an actor attached or a director attached and they would go with the packaged script. So I learned 
from being inside the machine that there are so many decisions that aren't based on the quality of the script that that really helped me. And I was just like to tell people that because if you're any kind of artist, actor, director, writer, there are so many decisions that happen behind the scenes that have nothing to do with your talent. Like giving a great audition is so important, but there are 50 other factors that you have no control over. And some of it's, and, and I'll get back to your, to your point, but um, like I've been in casting sessions where like a great actress would come in or a great actor would come in. And one of the people in the room would be like, Oh, you know what? She looks like my ex-girlfriend. I can't work with her, even though she was amazing, you know? So, and sometimes it was like, well, you know, we need to, you know, we've already cast two blondes. So we, 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 we need a brunette. And even though the blonde was great, I guess you could dye her hair, but you know, it, just so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that I always think it's important for anybody who's in the arts to understand. It's hard to separate your, you know, validating yourself from how people see your work, but you have to understand, especially on a professional level, that there's again, so many things that are on top of the final decision that whenever you get a rejection, you've got to process and like, let it roll off you. And, and so I learned that, um, but I didn't really have a game plan because I kind of grew up in the studio. So if I, you know, if I had been a typical, somebody who knew the business from a different angle, like the minute I sold Final Destination, cause I was working in New York, I would have moved to Los Angeles, you know, to start yeah. taking meetings. And I was just kind of blissfully in my bubble, you know, just writing. And so when I left, um, I got a couple of things that I started working on, but then 9-11 happened and I lived like five blocks from the World Trade Center. So um, yeah, my, my roommate and I decided to move to LA um, very, very quickly. So that happened like maybe three months after I left New Line. Um, so I didn't have much time. I didn't have much time to life kind of made me change my plan. So then I moved out to LA um, and that was great. But then I was in a new environment. I had, t I knew some people um, who had moved out over the years, but I hadn't made the industry connections that I would have made if I'd have been working out of new line in LA. Um, so I knew kind of a whole separate group of people. So it was really trying to acclimate myself and I almost had to reestablish myself because I hadn't been here. So the director and his writing partner, who, who James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who did an amazing job on the film, but they were getting all the credit for the movie. By the time I moved out here, everybody's like, who the hell are you? I'm like, you know, my name's, my name's on that poster there twice. Um, <laughs> for final destination. I don't know if you ever read that, looked at the actual credits, but so it was kind of a restart, kind of a restarting thing. I mean, granted, the Final Destination thing got me into rooms, but it was almost like they had to, every, my agent had to like reintroduce me to like the town. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I started getting meetings and getting, getting some jobs and it was, it was a whole process. Um, wow. Well, how, how long did it take? Cause I can only imagine moving from say like a state away, but moving across the country into a different part of the uh, industry in a different region. How long did it take for you to feel comfortable again, especially in like Los Angeles of all places? I've been, that's, I don't know what it is. I don't know 
what is about my personality? I I adjust like very quickly to new places. Like, I mean, I went from Kentucky to New York, you know, and didn't and and that loved New York back, especially when I back in the day, like, you know, I was younger, so all the hustle and bustle was was really exciting. And I watched Fame growing up, so I I thought going to New York was going to be like Fame. I'm like, where are the kids dancing in the streets? <laughs> Coming to LA was not a culture shock. Um, you know, the weather is beautiful. Um, I had, you know, when I moved to New York, when I moved to LA, you know, I'm, I'm gay. So I wanted to make sure that I found like a safe space, you know, where I wouldn't get, get beaten up or killed. So I moved to West Hollywood and, um, had some friends already out here, but just kind of really quickly kind of met a group of friends out here and settled in. And then, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a little bit too much time. I moved to the heart of I, I moved to WeHo, which is like the super super like there's just a a strip of bars like a couple of blocks from me. Oh no! <laughs> so that's you know I ta- I'm you know I've been sober for 15 years now, but I did when I first got here. You know, I did kind of get more. I think I got a little off track business on the business side because I was like, the you know I wanted to you know, experience a gay culture here. And so I would just go out a lot drinking with my friends, um, which did still inspire me to work. But um, yeah, I acclimated very quickly. Like, to, and I loved LA. I love the weather. Um, you know, there gets a point, you know, and it didn't even, it didn't happen to me till, till COVID happened. And I finally took my first vacation um, in like 14 years, like I, I, um, every t- all of my trips, cause my family was in Kentucky. So every trip I would take was either work related or going home to see my family. So I never had a proper vacation. Um, and I took one, um, at the tail end of COVID and traveled. And then I realized like, Oh, like I don't need to, I still love New York or Los Angeles, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty damn expensive to live here <laughs> um, for the, for, you know, for the, you know, it, it, yeah, if, if it's pretty damn expensive to live here. So now I'm like, oh, I, I may want to move now, but I don't know where. <laughs> I mean, Hey man, you could easily move to Colorado. It's not too much cheaper than Los Angeles at this point. Uh, yeah. But you know, it's uh, the air's cleaner. I can say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I've been to Colorado. There was, um, they used to have a festival, the mile high horror film festival. Um, yes. and I used to, I was like there, I, I, I think I was their first get one of their first guests. And so every year I would, I would go back for that. And I loved, loved it. Um, cause they, yeah, the people are so nice and yeah, I just had an amazing time there just cause everybody was so nice and, and wonderful. So, um, I don't, I don't, the funny thing is now I'm spoiled because I don't know the, I just w- winters when it gets really cold and snowy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I can't have my cake and eat it too, but, it, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just an interesting time because I'm, I'm kind of reassessing, you know, things as well, just with that. And I also wrote on some animated shows during COVID uh, one got nominated for an Emmy, which was awesome. And, um, you know, so that was a whole new creative world for me and, you know, animation. And so it's like, I'm never going to leave the horror genre because it's just so near and dear to me, but it's like a time where I am kind of assessing like 
what do I do? What do I want to write next? Yeah. And do you, I mean, do you have uh kind of an idea of where you want to go next? Are you thinking of maybe I want to try another you know animated project or do you want to, uh, maybe you ha- already have, you know, a plethora of horror scripts you want to yeah, uh, get I, made. Yeah. I've got, I've got some horror scripts that, that we're pushing um, to come out. There's a couple of things I, I'm, I produced uh, the, this uh, horror film called the bell keeper. Um, I'm actually going to Owensboro at the end of the month, Owensboro, Kentucky to um, act in one of my friend's films. Um, I've been producing it as well. Uh, so, and I have an anime, another animated show that's in development at Netflix. Uh, so right now I think my focus is on, I want to write another TV pilot mainly because my reps want me to. Um, <laughs> they do have a stack of scripts and they're like, write it, write it, write it. We want a new pilot from you. So that's where, where my brain has been. You know, the last month and a half is just trying to figure out that right story that I want to tell. Um, kind of a supernatural story. I, I definitely want to set it in Appalachia because that's, you know, where I grew up. And I think that that region is, uh, is usually stereotypically represented and, <laughs> You know, I'd like to kind of show the kind of real Appalachia, which does include, you know, certain things like, you know, poverty and, you know, there's an opioid addiction stuff going on down there. But um, you you don't see the uh, you don't see the other side, which is just like people that are so loving and down to earth and would give you the shirt off their backs and hard work. It, you know, you don't see all the all the positives. And so I do want to set something in Appalachia and uh and I want it to be supernatural but I keep going back and forth with my friends I'm like I could do a murder mystery they're like do something supernatural and I'm like ah well (laughs) Well, I don't know if you dove into the YouTube black hole that is uh you know people uh monologuing supernatural horror stories set in the Appalachia mountains but there's I I just I just found that channel like maybe a week ago did you or is like stories of haunted Appalachia or like, yeah. kill, you know, notorious killers in Appalachia. <laughs> um, so there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot um, that I'm kind of soaking in. Um, Cause yeah, I, I, if, you know, if I were, when I write the pilot, I just want it to be really, you know, strong and yeah. not, that, not that anything, you know, not that I just crap out anything like I, I want everything I write to be really strong, but since it's my first pilot that I've written in a while, that wasn't a pre-existing. Like the animated shows were already based on other properties, um, so I really want to write, you know, something something special. So I'm, it, it's all percolating, and I just every time I go to sleep, I'm like, please God, let me have a dream that puts it all together. <laughs> um, and so far, God has not listened to my prayers. Um, but maybe I'll start praying to say, I'm kidding. Dear <laughs> listeners, uh, he has a really suspicious black cauldron on one of his shelves. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but can hey, we imagine? <laughs> here's not a cauldron. <laughs> I do look. Uh, I, you know, th- this is always really fun to ask because I, I wanted to be a writer before I was ever an actor. And I, I still do both. I still write consistently, but I always love hearing about the writing processes of you know other writers. So I wanted to ask you, do you have 
like are you very tedious with your writing process are you a note card person are you gonna bleed all over dry erase and chalkboards and you know kind of put everything together sherlock style what's your writing process like you know what um I, I I wish I had a specific process because I think I'd be a lot. Here, here's what I, because when I was, when I was at New Line, you could sell treatments. So I was very big into, it's very, it's, it's gotten easier. It's very hard for me to pitch something without writing the, the thing out. Like, you know, like a 10 page treatment that has like the whole movie from start to finish laid out. You know, so that's kind of how I grew up. You know, that was my process growing up because you could sell those. Nowadays, they want to pitch and they also want you to bring in actors. And it's like, wait a minute, that's your job. <laughs> um, so now that the world has changed, I'm trying to move away from writing treatments for everything and just writing beat sheets. Um, I have found when I have used note cards on projects, um, it's been amazingly efficient and has been so helpful um, because you can just move stuff around but I don't do it. I don't, there, there's the part of, there's a part of me, I don't know. Like it's, it's just, I, I know I've, I've done it. We did, I did it on a couple of shows where we had the note cards up and it's like, I am going to do this forever because it's so easy just to help. And I just never, I bought it. I've, I bought a little whiteboard, but it's too little to write out the whole thing on. And then I bought a bigger cork board and I'm like, and I could just tape the, sticky notes to my wall that's what i need to do that would be the most efficient i think for me the the outline is good because then you kind of know your beginning your middle your halfway point your 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 ending but i do think the process of having the note card system when i've worked especially when you're breaking down something and you need to really figure out where the scenes fit best or if you're breaking out like a season of shows I found that to be ext- extremely like efficient and effective. It's just, I don't follow my own experience and our own <laughs> advice sometimes. Cause I like to make work hard for myself. You know what? Based on every other writer I've talked to on this podcast, everybody has the same thing in common. It's like, I do want to do this, but I tend to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm great at giving yeah. advice. Uh, <laughs> and I know what would make my life a lot easier. Um, but yeah, I, I and also my process, and I'm trying to do this pilot different. My process used to be to come up with a concept first, um, because I know that that's what's going to get somebody's interest when you're talking to them. Uh, but having worked on, which is funny, just having worked on the animation cartoons, um, especially the one I'm developing now, it's like I laid out the first season, um, and then the producers like you know, I want you to go back and I want you to relay out the season, but from the emotional journey of the characters um, and focus on that. And so when I did that, it actually tied everything together and made everything feel more deep and important. Um, And I, you know, so even though I want to come up with a good concept, I'm trying to come up with my characters first this time. Um, because usually I, I come up with a concept and then I come up with some cool characters, but I'm not thinking about too deeply, you know, because I'm just usually trying to sell a pilot, yeah. you know, and then <laughs> a pitch. So I'll talk about their emotional journey, but I don't, I, 
I haven't, that didn't used to be my focus. So I, that's one thing I'm, ch I'm changing this go around is I'm trying to create the characters and, and the, set it in the world and then see what kind of story kind of bubbles up as opposed to going concept characters then outline. I'll tell you, I mean, you know more than anybody else, but to those who are listening, doing all of that mentally drains the hell out of you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so with, you know, uh, we started the show during the pandemic and one of the bigger questions was what, what keeps you sane outside of your job, outside of writing, outside of acting, outside of producing? What do you like to do that helps you decompress, relax, kind of enjoy life for a little bit outside of the industry? Do you have anything that keeps you satiated? Oh, you said outside of the industry. Um, <laughs> literally, my my decompression is watching movies <laughs> and watching TV shows. Um, and at some point, that'll change. Like I I I do look at watching movies as research. Um, that you know, because that's how you put it on your taxes. <laughs> so <laughs> so. <laughs> But um, you know, I, I'm I've always I've always had simple um, simple things in life make me happy. Like I'm not I don't you know what I'm saying? Like I don't yeah. I you know I I loved growing up in Kentucky, but I you know when somebody if somebody wants to go like hiking in the mountains, I'm like eh you know. <laughs> 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 um, so so honestly, most what keeps me happy is like watching good movies um, and TV at this point, you know? Um, and, it, and it's funny when I talk to a lot of my friends, cause they're like, we always talk about the business and, and I'm like, well, I don't have, you know, I'm don't have a per I'm single. So I don't have a personal life. And um, all I do, you know, because I'm still trying to, you know, because when you have a movie that's as successful as Final Destination, like everybody assumes, like if you Google my net worth online, it says like $5 million, which is insane. Like nowhere near, you know what I'm saying? Like nowhere <laughs> in that arena. So I'm like, no wonder people always write me up, want me to finance their films. Um, but that, I don't know where, how they put that figure together, but you know, it is, a, it's mentally draining to work on something and i think a lot of times when you work with producers they don't understand that they're like oh we'll just change this and this and this and i'm like yeah but that changes like the whole movie <laughs> but i'll do it and they're like okay can you turn it in tomorrow it's like hell no it's a lot of work like you're not <laughs> you don't realize how much work you're asking me to do um so that's also another reason i got a little bit more into producing as well as it's um it's a fun world. And then I can help other filmmakers that I believe in, you know, try to get their stuff made. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's been a fun diversion, but I, I, I wish I had some cool answer. Like, you know, I go skydiving or, you know, something like that to, to <laughs> impress, um, I, or, or even I do yoga or something, but I know it's like when I have free time, it's like, I'm watching movies. Yep watching tv shows i still have like a lot of shows that i yeah dvr so <laughs> you know what we we get so much yoga on this show it's always refreshing to not hear that for an episode oh. yeah no, i yeah no, no no i would get too bored i have, oh, yeah. I, have I have add too so like it's hard for me to 
center myself and calm myself. But then going to a yoga class, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to pay $80 for 45 minutes of torture. Yeah, this is great. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, a, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure you have something in your arsenal, especially working for New Line uh, for all those years. But if you have a, a party story you could share with our listeners. So something that has occurred doesn't have to be, you know, within the walls of New Line or on set, but anything that's happened in your life that stands out so immensely could be humorous, could be tragic, could be ironic, could be scary. Uh, but something you could easily recant amongst friends at a party. Do you have anything in your arsenal you could uh, pull out for the listeners? Oh my gosh, since you gave me so many options of... Um, I was going to go with the guy who fucking our cow when I was a kid, but um, I think I'll go with a different story. <laughs> oh my fucking God. <laughs> no, because, well, the thing is, there are two things. Um the first time I ever got starstruck, because I uh, working at New Line, I met a lot of huge, huge actors and actresses and never got starstruck. I didn't even know what starstruck kind of meant. But um, aside from Nightmare on Elm Street, V, the original miniseries, is like my favorite show of all time. And Jane Badler, who played Diana on that, was, was brilliant and loved her. And so when I directed my first short... I just reached out to her through her agent to see if she would do it in just a small bit. And she was in Australia and she's like, sure. And so like I directed her over, you know, online and she went out and she shot this and then we became friends and I, she came to LA and she's like, Oh, would you like to meet for lunch? I was like, absolutely. And I went to lunch and I sat down with her and I, my brain could literally not like, that was the first time I've ever been starstruck. I'm like, Oh, this is what it means. Cause I, I couldn't think of what to say. And like, I was just overwhelmed and <laughs> it, it felt like I was like, I can't believe I'm sitting with Jane Badler. Um, and finally I told her, I said, I have to stop for a second. Cause I'm I, now I know what starstruck means. Cause I'm, I'm just, my brain is like not processing any of this, this stuff. So, um, that's my sweet starstruck st story. Um, oh, wow. And I met Dolly Parton once. But yeah, the, a, a drunk guy did fuck a cow um, uh, on our farm. And um, and um, my mom had gone to the store and um, he was this really well-known super drunk guy that lived up our holler. And yeah, he came down and fucked our cow. And then I told my mom and um, she took a shotgun up to his place and told him that if he ever came on our property again she'd kill him and he never came back and never fucked our cow again oh my god so there i take i, I left you with something i was i was perfectly happy with the first one i would <laughs> be lying if i wasn't thinking about the second one just oh my okay i mean i can tell you how he did it i mean not without <laughs> being graphic no i'm just he just he just a step stool no, he he put corn down, and I'm real, I was like looking out the window. I'm like, "What the hell is he doing?" He's like, "Put corn down in front of the cow to feed it," and then he got a bucket and got up on the bucket. <laughs> so, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> now this is not a normal occurrence in Kentucky. This might be a normal occurrence for alcoholics, <laughs> super hardcore alcoholics, who are desperate. Um, poor cow. I know. <laughs> 
Uh, I'll to you whether you want to cut that part out. <laughs> I I'll, I'll leave that up to you. You you love. Oh, I don't. Know, I didn't. I didn't fuck a cow. So I. I don't I'd, I'd love to keep that in because that's. Oh amazing. yeah. No. I, yeah. No. It, it's that was um that's the craziest story that I have um. um uh, please yeah. write a really amazing movie about your mom because she yeah. sounds like a complete badass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I've already gone over a little bit, but I just have a few more things to wrap up this, uh, this interview. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see if you had any advice you could instill upon our listeners, whether they are, you know, writing, acting, just anything that has to do with the arts industry. Maybe it's a piece of advice that's, you know, kept you going, you know, for your yeah. career or something you've heard and you really believe in. Is there anything you can share with our listeners? Um, well, I think the, the first thing about separating your, your ego from your work, um, is, is, is probably the most important piece of advice. Cause I just know so many people who are like, well, I'm going to give this two years and if it doesn't work out. And when I first went to New York, it's like, I got an agent and I started doing the background stuff really quickly. And I was like, screw that 10 year rule cut to it was 10 years <laughs> to the year I graduated high school that I sold final destination. So it does take a lot of patience and persistence. Um, I think now with technology, the way it is that people hate when you tell them this, but it's like, if you can create your own content, um, even if it's a short, if it's stuff to, it, it not only hones your skills, but it also, there's ways to get your work out there in the world that people can see it. Um, and if you can get enough buzz going around it, it doesn't matter. Cause that's the thing you can shoot movies, no matter where you live, you know, and if they're quality enough, you can find places that will put them out. Um, or you can even put them up on YouTube just to get an, get an audience, to, you know, to start watching your work. Um, so I think that there's never been a better time because, you know, when I was growing up, we had the cameras with the, you had to put the VHS tapes in them like you know so very very you know like the technology you have now on your iphone is like it's crazy what people get to um i think the other good advice is you if you if you want to if you want to be a good artist you've got to surround yourself with good people um you don't want people that just are going to say everything you do is great but you need to find the right kind of people like especially to to evaluate your work like you know, you don't want the people that are going to love everything you want to do. You you don't want people who are going to hate everything that you do. If you're a writer, you don't want to have people giving you notes on like, well, if this was my movie, this is how I would have written it because that's not what it is. But you want to just find the people that are just going to be honest with you, but also keep you going like creatively because it's a if you know making a living in the arts. Like every writer, director, actor I know, they even the really successful ones, they are, there's always times where they're like, I had to take the side gig. That's not even in the industry that I can't tell anybody, you know, not anything shady, but it's just like, you know, I was working at this place and, you know, you know, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough, well, like any industry, it's a tough business. And if you want to rise to the top or stay at it, it's really about always growing. So that's why I think it's important to always be open to constructive criticism. Like the, the biggest, the biggest problem I see with a lot of writers is they'll, 
want notes from people, but then they will argue with every single note that the person says. And it's like, especially if you get three people telling you the same thing, listen, but if you have the right people, it shouldn't take three people. Like, you, you know, once you think that everything you write is gold, like you're screwed. Like, and you see this with some famous writer directors where their first movie is like amazing. And then their second movie, obviously nobody, because their, their first movie did so well, nobody told them no on their second movie. So then their movies start getting off, going off into crazy land because they're not getting any parameters and then at some point they finally realize oh <laughs> and then they get back on track again so you don't want to do that in your life before you get your first thing done you don't want to you know not listen to other people and, and be like well i'm going to break all the rules because this one movie broke all the rules and was a success it's like yeah but that person had a couple of had other movies under their belt you know so i think always growing again keeping yourself surrounded by good people don't get caught up in the partying life of, of hollywood it's, it's very and it's not even hollywood it's just the industry like you know if i i just i i've lost so many friends to like drug addiction and alcoholism either through them dying from it or committing suicide over it um and, and this is inside the industry and outside the industry too it's like just you know, addiction is such a, a big problem. So I always, it's easy when you're writing because you're a lot of times you're very isolated and solitary. It's very easy to, to all of a sudden realize, well, I'm drinking more and more and more. Um, and then you start thinking that your work is only going to be good if you're drinking. And so I always tell people, you know, without judgment, because there's a lot of people out there that can drink and do their weed or whatever and handle it fine and just have one or two drinks and be done with it. But you know, if you find yourself struggling, like get, get help. And, you know, because you, then you, you're so much easier and able to tap into that creative stuff inside of you, but authentically not the drunk kind of like, this is great. <laughs> um, so I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, it was all, <laughs> all of it is so pertinent and so important for everybody to hear. Those are just like the, le and those are the lessons that I've learned. Like everybody yeah. had diff different experiences, but those are the lessons that I've learned for myself is like persistence, patience, believing in yourself, even though it gets hard sometimes. Um, and just keep creating, like keep doing it. Even if you have to take a, side job you know i had to there was a one point in my career where things looked great on imdb but i had to take a side job like selling law school a law school program to grad students for like a summer um just because yeah just because there was a there was a lack of work there for a while and and i had to pay the bills so you know don't yeah don't judge your career by other people's careers um don't judge your life by their social media because obviously that job was never on any of my social media it was only cool stuff um but yeah and just if if it's in your heart like if it's like what you are really drawn like you know like because i knew from a young age like this is what i was going to do and so if you know in your heart of hearts like this is what you want to do if you i do believe that if you stick with it long enough and you keep growing your work will fall into the right hands or find the the right person will see it at the right time. And that's all it takes is that one yes. 
you know. God, after you said that, I wish I was wearing a. I I made um, custom shirts that say "Don't give up" on yeah. on the chest, and God, I wish I was wearing that right now. But yeah, it's this is a tough tough business. I, I'm ten years in, and I'm our, I I hit that dip. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? What's what's gonna happen? Uh, yeah, I I think everything you said is is so pertinent and true, and it has to be said. So I want to thank you for for sharing that, but I also want to see. What can we give a shout out uh, slash a promotion to in this episode? Is there something that you're really excited about? Maybe an organization you really care about? Is there anything that I can promote with this episode? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I would, I would say feel free to follow me on social, you know, social media, Jeffrey A. Reddick. That's my handle at Twitter and um, Instagram, but uh, where you can hear about any of my, my new projects. But I think, I think the Trevor project, if there's a project that I am passionate about, absolutely. Um, it's a really great organization that helps, you know, deal with, with young LGBTQ people um, and helps them, especially suicide. You know, there's the suicide rate among my community is so high among young people because of all the shit that's out there in the world. Um, and the, so the Trevor project is a great, resource um for those kids and i yeah if anybody you know wants to do anything i think you know volunteer or or donate it would be amazing or just spread the word about the driver project I, we've had a few people uh recently share that and i'm so glad it's getting more name recognition and people going in and giving their support any way they can i yeah. just i really appreciate that uh well as uh we're closing out this ep- this uh, episode, this recording. My coffee is kicked in way too hard. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say, like, thank you for your time, man. I've been an admirer of yours for a very, very long time. So it's nice to finally chat with you and get to hear about your story, your badass mom, and just, yeah. you know, everything you've been doing. Uh, before we wrap up, I have one question to ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever seen Wayne's World? I I've seen it not religiously. <laughs> <laughs> so so i i have i've seen it a couple times but okay um i should have just said i've seen yes <laughs> but, but i but i thought you might ask me for my favorite quote and i'm like ah i don't know it, that i don't know i i i this is completely off kilter uh, we have oh, yeah. what we call an, an awkward goodbye for oh. this show and it's essentially uh the scene where wayne leaves the corporate production stage and leaves uh-huh. garth by himself so what I do is I give you a silent Wayne's World cameraman countdown. And when I give you the point, give me your best verbal awkward goodbye and I'll stop the recording from there. Does that sound fun? Okay. So just say something intentionally awkward. Oh, yeah. 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 Just super awkward. Okay. Are you ready for that? Okay. I'm going to go from three. Here we go. In. So uh, I hate to do this, but I have to go change my kitty litter box um, because my agent's coming over um, and I'm meeting with Tom Cruise uh, to to star in his next movie. So uh, sorry, but got to go. 